0: Listen up, it's almost time to crack open a cold one and tell me what's on your mind. Michael Wellington, flex a little bit of emotional intelligence. So before they get track welcome to the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast.
1: Well, hello again, everybody, to all of the veterans out there. Thank you for your service. This is is the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast. We are coming to you, as always, from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group Studio. My name is Michael Wellington, and across the table from me, as always, is my tag team partner. Many of you know him as the Natty King. His name is Brandon McNamee. What is happening, sir?
0: Hey! How you doing? I'm good. How are you? you? Doing all right. Yeah, all is well. Yeah, you're going to Florida this week, so that's fucking awesome.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm going to try to get out of here for a little bit and enjoy some a little warmer weather.
0: Yeah, I just was outside uh, getting something out of my car, and I can't feel my fingers and my fucking eyebrows feel like they're frozen. So it's unreasonable. Yeah, yeah. I want to learn a little bit more about what you you've been through. You've written a book. True on, on bipolar disorder. That's correct. Which is f- uh, written a book. I mean, the guy you, you literally like listen to that again. He's written a book. On bipolar disorder, that's I can fancy. barely read. <laughs> that's, that's, what's, that's, that's what's so fascinating about it, dude. I, can you? People always have this conception. Like people throw around the word bipolar. They so do. Often they're like, oh, she's he's bipolar. Oh, my girlfriend, she's bipolar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just because, like, maybe they're mad one minute and then they're uh, maybe a little, you know, they get over it a minute later. Mm-hmm. And people just seem to think that bipolar is just some loosely thrown out. What the hell is it? Like, what is it exactly?
1: I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that is very true. People throw bipolar around as if they really know a lot about it, and a lot
0: of people don't. No, oh, they say it like it's just, yeah, she's bipolar. Yeah.
1: yeah um, she's bipolar. I used to when I was younger, when people would say that kind of thing, it would bother me, but then I realized that when people use the, the word the wrong way, you just have to kind of consider the source, and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, to answer your question, though, the simple definition is bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. Like anybody else who maybe doesn't even have bipolar, you can you, you get into good moods, you get into bad moods, you right. get into you know emotional moods, you get into angry moods but sometimes with bipolar those moods become obsessed upon so you might stay angry longer than you should or you might stay sad longer than you should or you might be happy maybe you know longer than you think you should but my journey with it has been kind of wild and that was one of the reasons that I wrote the book funny because I was diagnosed probably about this week, 22 years ago. I was diagnosed in January of 2001. I had just moved to Fort Myers, Florida in January of 01. And I was going to start my professional golf career. And my behavior became very odd. And what I mean by that is I was calling a lot of my friends on the phone. And I was talking to a lot of family members about these odd, grandiose things that I was going to do like I told him I was in Florida and I come from St. Louis and I was going to have Laker tickets, you know, like just kind of ridiculous. I I told my mom that I thought I had cancer, which I didn't. But that was at the time the bipolar kind of playing with my mind and creating things that weren't real.
0: No shit. Yes. So you, in your mind, thought you had cancer. At the time,
1: I was very, very what we call in the bipolar world manic. Okay. And, and manic that's when you're up. That's when you're up. That's the mania. That's the manic behavior. That means like you don't really need sleep. You are moving very quickly. Brain's you're, yo, oh, yeah. Your, your brain is moving at a rate that's really not safe. Your speech is accelerated. You're spending odd amounts of money on things that you don't need. For example, when I moved into this apartment in Fort Myers, when I was just out of school, started my golf career, I went to a sports memorabilia shop and I purchased a bunch of sports memorabilia, like, you know, jerseys and figurines and things of this nature to put in this apartment that I was only going to be living in for like three or four months. So my brain was super confused, but the reason that this never popped up the four years before this when I was in college was because I, it, was, it was just kind of known I was an outgoing person. It, it, nobody, nobody really knew that much about bipolar at the time, but my behavior when I moved to Fort Myers in the beginning of 2001, it was so obvious that my friends and my family were like, okay, something is wrong. So my parents come down to Fort Myers. They bring me to a doctor. And you know, they had a meeting with him first and then I went in with the doctor by myself and the doctor put a piece of paper, an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper. And he says, Michael, talking to your parents, I think you may have this condition called bipolar disorder. And he had on the piece of paper, there was a list of all the traits of a bipolar person. And I was an educated person. I'm reading all the traits and I'm like, well, I've got that. I've got that. I've got that. And some of them were what I mentioned to you, like going on weird spending sprees, not sleeping, accelerated speech, jumbled speech. And so I was lucky in the sense that I knew right away that I had it, right? Were you
0: in a state of mania right then when you were at the doctor?
1: Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Now, it wasn't acute mania where I was out of control. It was kind of more of this area that the doctors would call hypomania, where you can kind of function in hypomania and still be productive. But it was good that I knew that I had it. But my biggest problem at that particular stage of, of my life with bipolar disorder was that I didn't believe that I needed to take medication, mainly because... When I was in college, I was a pretty successful golfer. Like, I was an All-American on my college team, and I had won some tournaments and all this kind of crap, right? So in my mind, I was like, well, I was really good in college. Even though my parents and this doctor want me to, Like, I'll just tell them I'm going to take the medication, but I'm I'm not going to take the medication, right? And In my mind, that's what I thought. Because it was all because I was obsessed with golf, and I wanted to become the best golfer that I could, right? So my thinking was, well, in college, I didn't take these pills, and I was good. If I start taking these pills, is this going to fuck up my short game? Or is this going to mess up how I feel under pressure? So I just kind of played the song and the dance with my parents. And my parents were like, okay, well, here, this is the medication you're going to take. We're going to go back to St. Louis. And, you know, you're going to go ahead and just take this medicine every day and everything will be fine. Yeah. Well, fast forward like two weeks and I hadn't taken it at all. And I slipped into this area of acute mania, which is that's when paranoia, anxiety, they all kind of gang up on you. Like I was in my apartment in Florida thinking that people were looking at me through the windows and they were going to try and kill me and shoot me. You know, I was scared to like do things. I mean, I just became kind of a shell of myself. Well, and it was actually, by the time I got to February, this is an unfortunate story, but this is what happened. It was actually, it was Valentine's Day, and uh, I'm a big college basketball fan. This is, and 20, this,
0: is this is 2001.
1: This is 2001, 2001. 2001. Yeah, 2001, yeah, 2001, Valentine's Day. Duke was playing North Carolina, big rivalry, so I was watching this game, and I was just freaking out, feeling like people are looking at me. And all of a sudden, it hit me in my mind, like, well, wait a minute, I have the medication in the next room. Maybe if I take the medication that'll help me feel better, right? Natural thought process. Yeah. Well, the, the disconnect in my brain was well, I need to take enough medication that I've missed for the last 2 weeks. Oh shit. So I went in to catch up. I went in, exactly, catch up. That's exactly the term I use in my book, catch up. So I went into my bathroom and I took a handful. I took 2 weeks worth. And I
0: what kind of pill was this? Was this
1: this a- is lithium. This is the drug that oh, I shit. this is the drug that I take today that that helps me with bipolar, right? So as soon as the pills got down my throat, this handful of pills gets down my throat, I realize, I'm like, all right, that wasn't a great idea. No. And I had a roommate at the time who knew things weren't going right, but he was cool and he was trying to handle it. But it was it's hard to handle someone when they're in that acute manic state. Well, he ended up calling the police, good, good move. Were you going nuts after you took uh, it, I was, it? I was of, I was kind of I was kinda well, I was going nuts because I knew that it was not a good move. I got I, I'm
0: gonna start feeling really I,
1: I might die. I thought I might die, yeah. right? Because I had so much I mean, I had probably what three mm, like four 15. four pills a day for two weeks oh, is twenty shit. pills, right? It was too much. Obviously way too four much.
0: Four pills a day. That's that's like 70 pills. Yeah, it was it was it was, it was it
1: was a handful. We'll yeah. So it was too much. So at this point, I ran out of the apartment. And my roommate noticed that that was not right. So he luckily called the ambulance. And I was like hanging out in the parking lot, but I couldn't sit still. I was restless. When you're manic, you get restless. So luckily, the ambulance shows up. Somehow they get me in the ambulance. They bring me to the Fort Myers Hospital and they pump my stomach. Now, yeah, now the problem is when I was, because I was in such a manic state. I thought that the doctors, as they're pinning me down on the table to get the tube down my throat, I thought they were trying to hurt me. Shit. So you know, I'm trying to fight back. You know, and I'm a pretty big dude. I mean, yeah. so I'm, I'm fighting back, and I. And, but they, luckily, they they got me wrestled down, and they you know got my legs and arms situated and exactly, and they they got my stomach pumped, which was which in retrospect was great, totally, hundred percent. There's of course it did. There's no question. <laughs> so then, of course, I leave there. And they put me in a hospital in Sarasota, like a mental hospital I mean and this is this is kind of an interesting part of my book there's It was my first visit to a mental hospital, and I'm talking like it was everything you'd see in a movie, man. I mean, there was a guy that I met in there, got white robes on and shit yeah and, and different people of all ages, and some people are like talking to the wall, and some people Just are like sitting that. at a table playing board games, and some people are yelling. One guy and I put this in my book, one guy thought he was Elvis Presley. Oh, that would be and fun. he came up and started talking to me, and he was like, "I'm Elvis." It was uh, it was very, and I I, I I was still I knew I was okay. I mean, I knew I who I knew who I was, and I I do remember you know they give you a phone call. I remember calling my parents' house and my mom answering, and I realized that when I thought I might have died in my mind when I went to the hospital, I thought I was maybe perhaps dead, right? Because. These people were just so off the wall. So when I called the, I called my mom from the phone booth there. When she answered the phone, I realized that I wasn't, I was still alive because I feel like if I wasn't alive, I Some sort of
0: familiarity?
1: Exactly. My dad had to come down, and my dad's a salesman, and he he talked them into letting me out of the hospital earlier than they wanted to keep me. Let's take a quick break and come back in just a minute. We've been here for over 70 years, giving back to community charities, local organizations, and youth athletics. And now we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. We've been here, providing the best car buying experience to our customers. Lou Fuse, we are here with the respect you deserve for 70 years and counting. Welcome back to the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast. We're going to get right back to it. They brought me back to St. Louis. So this is like end of February, 2001. That's when I experienced what you and I talked about in your episode, depression for the first time. So me growing up, played a lot of sports, very active, very social. I had a very lucky and cool childhood, right? Like I never experienced depression or anxiety when I was growing up, right? Or in college. but. When I got out of the hospital after this manic episode, my first manic episode, what people need to understand is every time a person has a manic episode, it's always followed by a cycle of depression. Yeah, because your 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 body and your brain, you know, they get so high with the mania, then they go down low and, and go into that depressive cycle. So
0: needs to relax and needs to chill. It's probably just deflating. Yeah.
1: So come back to St. Louis, like, and I couldn't even like get out of bed. You know, you were talking about in your episode having trouble getting out of bed, I had to roll myself out of the bed. And I I remember I was sleeping in my sister's room at the time because she had a bigger bed. And each day, I mean, I had to force myself to walk like around the neighborhood. And each day it got a little bit better. Like, so the first day, you know, I walked really slow. The next day, like I walked a little bit quicker. Then eventually I got to like a jog and then eventually I got to more running. But that was how I peeled myself out of the depression initially Initially. yeah and i was 20 yeah of course i was 23 years old luckily at that age you know you don't know a whole lot anyway you think you do but you don't know a whole lot but i was able to kind of unknowingly use exercise to get me out of literally laying in bed all day you just had
0: to pry yourself to do it I i mean probably the hard one of the hardest things you ever did was probably get out of that bed and go for a walk
1: it really was man i mean i have i would have to physically roll myself out where I would land on the floor because I could not get my body felt so heavy from the depression that that's how I got out of it. And then I stayed in that cycle, that depressive cycle for that, let's say February, March, April, May, maybe that first four or five months, you know, not unlike your story. And then I, I, that summer I kind of, I started playing golf again and I, I, I started feeling more like myself and I started taking the medicine every day. And yes, and that was obviously a key for me moving forward to pull myself out of depression. Now, my biggest challenge, though, when I was diagnosed in 01 all the way to 06, was that I still wasn't consistent about the medication, even though it's pretty obvious that I should have been, but I just had this horrible ego problem. And that's what bipolar is. It's an ego problem. The, The ego owns you and you think you're the smartest person you think you know the answers to every question you're everybody else is not as smart as you. you 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 just this ego just overtakes you and from from 2001 to 2006 I'm in the middle of trying to play professional golf and I based all of my medication intake on how I would play golf the day before uh, so if I took half my medication on a Thursday and played good yeah the next day I would take the same amount but then if i played bad the day after that i might not take any i might
0: not take it at all
1: but on but on some days i might take all of it you know like i might take every every pill you know but it was something that i had to learn and luckily i have this incredible support system of family and friends and in the summer of 2006 at the time i was working a broadcasting job at the university of missouri i was calling baseball games for the university of missouri and i had a bad manic episode there and i got brought back to st louis and put into barnes hospital and i was there for 33 days inpatient yeah i was on the mental ward i was in oh, the i was on the mental over a Month. 33 days right so i'm there for over a month and in that time in that chunk of time in that 33 days For whatever reason, at that particular time, I wasn't really into listening to what my family would say, but I would listen to my friends, which is important. I mean, I think if you have bipolar or any sort of depression issues, you do have to listen to other people. It's very important. But I I got lucky because I had two groups of friends of mine come see me in the hospital. I had a group of four guys come see me on a Monday, and I had a different group of four guys come see me on a Tuesday. And they said, Michael, listen, we love you. We want you in our life. But if you don't take your medicine every day, we can't be in your life. Because I, like I said, at that point for those first five years, I just wasn't consistent. I wouldn't take it every day, right? And I needed to.
0: The days that you did take it, Mm -hmm. all the way took it. Yeah. Everything was cool?
1: Not necessarily, because there wasn't that consistency of every day getting it in your system. Yeah,
0: okay, so it wasn't building up the proper levels. It was
1: Correct, so, so, my, so with lithium, the drug that I still take to this day, you have to take a certain amount every day to get to a therapeutic level, right? Okay. And I, could go, I can go get a blood test anytime I want to see if my blood's at a therapeutic level, but I know now, as long as I take 1,200 milligrams every day of lithium, that my blood is going to be well into the therapeutic level. I could probably take 900 milligrams a day and still be therapeutic, but I'm at 12 these days. Twelve hundred okay. mil- milligrams.
0: Man, between those those six years or five years, but two thousand one to two thousand six, when you think about bipolar, you're thinking like all the way up and then all the way down, all the way up and all the way down. Is mm-hmm. there ever a time we just? Straight through the middle, just going. Everything's just like. You mean like things are well? When you're not on a cycle. And you're just bipolar. In, that, that,
1: in no? that first five years, no, I didn't have that. It was up and down. Up and I was down. up and yeah. down. It was, it it was, was a lot for, for me. Like everybody's different with their experience with bipolar. But for me, uh, the majority of my challenges were mania. Because at that time, as you know, from the age I was 23 to 27 or 28 in there, you know, I was going out. Yeah, I, I was in, in St. Louis and Southern Illinois, you know, the bars don't close. Oh, in addition to having the bipolar that i'm dealing with i'm also going out and like drinking and i'm chasing girls and i'm going to the strip clubs yeah. and i'm i'm still playing golf and i'm i'm hanging out with buddies and and it was fun right but like in retrospect like it was uh it was dangerous
0: yeah being in a state of mania and getting hammered Mm. Was there times where you think I shouldn't have made it out of that alive?
1: Oh, I I mean, I was thinking about this today when I was considering what I was going to talk about in our interview here. There's probably half a dozen times where I should be dead. I mean, for for example, there was one time that I um, I had gotten into Adderall for fun during this stretch, right? Because I thought Adderall would make me practice golf a little bit better. It actually kind of did to a certain extent. It would make me focus a little better, but it kicked me into a manic episode. So I wound up blacked out from the alcohol, but still awake from the mania and the Adderall. I was walking down Highway 40 oh, at King's Highway, shit. shirtless, shoeless, and cops arrested me for public drunkenness. I woke up in the Richmond Heights Police Department with nothing but my blue jeans on.
0: Wow. And I... get hit by a car.
1: Easily. Now that's one. Like I said, there's half a dozen times that I should probably be dead. That's one of them for sure. There's a. It's wild how how active the mania you can can make you. Like I, I didn't need sleep. Like there was a stretch in 2005. I remember I was living in Maplewood, and I can remember for like three weeks straight. I didn't need to sleep. I would I would go out and party until the strip clubs closed at like five or six in the morning. I'd come home. I'd f- like put my head on a pillow from like five a.m. to like six thirty, and then I'd go to the golf course. And I mean, I I just and do it again. Yes, I didn't know any better. You know, I didn't have any idea how important sleep was at that time.
0: That sounds extremely. That sounds exhausting. Like you're just talking about it, I feel like I need to go lay down. <laughs> like fuck dude. Let me let me ask you, is there anything that like puts put you particularly into a manic episode? Like what's what st- like you'd say you were at the University of Missouri you're mm-hmm. uh, broadcasting baseball. Game. Yeah, um nowhere. Boom. What happened? So
1: at that time I wasn't consistent about taking my meds. And I was drinking. And I was staying out too late. And at that particular time I was so busy because I was doing the broadcasting job at Mizzou, which is in Columbia, obviously. And I was also, for that stretch of six months, I was teaching golf at Stonewolf Golf Club, which is in Fairview Heights, Illinois. And I lived in between. So think about it too. I'm driving all the time back and forth to Columbia. Then I'm driving from St. Louis and Maplewood, I was living out to Fairview Heights. So like I'm constantly on the move anyway, right? So then you throw in the mania of the bipolar. So like like there was just no slowing. The only way to slow me down was to get me in a hospital. And that's what, they, that's what my family and friends had to do. I mean, I, there was no choice. Now, I'll share this other wild story that happened during that stretch. So I'm doing the job at Mizzou. You know, as I said, I'm traveling quite a bit. Well, at the same time, I was playing a few golf tournaments around St. Louis. And at this particular time, in the spring of 06, all of these professional golf tournaments around St. Louis, they're always on Mondays where all the pros from the area get together and play. So we had a tournament at Anbrier, which is down in Southern Illinois. And I've been to Anbrier 30 times in my life. Like, I know exactly how to get there. I don't need GPS. Like, I I know how to get there. So this is what landed me in the hospital. So I'm on my way to Anbrier, and I'm so manic that I got lost in a neighborhood that was probably 10 or 15 minutes from the golf course. I get lost. I'm driving around the neighborhood in circles, and I run out of gas. Okay. This is all in my book as well. And I wound up getting out of the neighborhood with very little gas left and I got like in front of like a Dairy Queen on like one of the main highways there down like on 255 down south. And I was so paranoid and so manic that I thought my car was going to collapse on me, right? I thought my car was going to like swallow me because my mind was just engulfed in mania, which means your sense of reality is gone. I was so freaked out that I get out of my car after I park it on the shoulder of the road next to the Dairy Queen, and I go in my trunk, and in my trunk I have a bat, a wooden bat, from like Bat Night at Busch Stadium. And I took the bat, and I started smashing my own car. Get the fuck out swear to here. God, sm- sma- I smashed the gas tank, because in my mind I ran out of gas, and it was the gas tank's fault that I did this, right? Then I smashed the window on the driver's side. I smashed the windshield on... The in the front of the car, I smashed the side. So imagine driving by and seeing someone doing this, just, right?
0: Just beating the shit out of yeah. your own car because you think yes, your car. Because I thought is the car was trying to hurt you. Yes,
1: exactly. Because wow. the mania, the mania makes you think that wow. these things that aren't possible, the things makes you it makes you believe they are. The weird thing was that all happens, and I mean, I got I got fucking glass in my arm. Like my hands are bleeding from the glass, and like for some reason, I put the bat back in the trunk and I grabbed my golf clubs were in there and I grabbed my driver for some odd reason and I had a backpack and I just left my car and I just went on foot and I started walking down the the golf course well I was at that point I was so lost that I wasn't ever going to make it to to play the tournament but as I'm walking I do see like across the highway like a mile or so away there's a driving range and for me golf was always something that relaxed me or like it was, it was something I wanted to do so I ended up going there on foot with the backpack holding my driver well the guy so I get there and I see there was some stray balls sitting around I started hitting them and the guy who ran the place could tell like I was not right because I don't think I even had shoes on right Holy shit! Man. so he called the cops cops come and get me and that's when the cops brought me back to St. Louis and then that's when they got me in the hospital for that 33 day stretch
0: wow yeah holy shit man <laughs> right, so that's that's uh that's a side of bipolar I don't think many people know about that's, yeah unless I mean, you unless you struggle with it yourself that's um that's wild it's a wild fucking story yeah the mania
1: what I had to do is I had to figure out how to keep the mania away forever and the best thing that i've noticed for the mania staying away is to take your meds every day.
0: So you're uh, since that hospital stay, that month over a month long yeah. inpatient hospital stay, mm-hmm. how have things been since then?
1: So that was '06. really had a, a tremendous run from like you know, the end of '06, all the way to 2010, like no episodes, oh, no episodes. Really good, yeah, I was playing really good golf. Yeah. Like, probably played my best golf from like 2007 to 2010, and and it was shocking because I was taking the medicine every day. Right now, I did other things too, but it was weird because the consistency that you talked about earlier—that's what I needed. Like, I that the, by taking the medicine every day, it gave me the consistency to do all these other things. Now, then I had a couple of other I had a couple of other episodes between uh, 2011 and 2023, where we are today. But all of them were pretty mild. the The only the only thing that was messed up was the the last one I had, which was in 2019, the beginning of 2019. This time of year, I decided that I was going to quit drinking soda and Gatorade, and I was just going to drink water and Pedialyte. Sure you're familiar with PD Light, right? Yeah. We're having kids.
0: Absolutely. And hangovers.
1: Sure, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I started drinking. I mean, I had Pedialyte everywhere, man. I had it in my car. I had it in my golf bag. I had it in the refrigerator. I had <laughs> it in my room. Yeah, I just, I was in my mind. I was trying to hydrate better because what I learned about depression is that one of the things that causes depression is fatigue. And one of the things that causes fatigue is being dehydrated. So I just wanted to make sure that I was ultra hy- hydrated. Yeah. I, it was kind of like it was almost like a New Year's Eve resolution. You know, like I'm going to just drink more water and Pedialyte, and that's I'm just all my drink. Stay hyper hydrated. Well, what happened was. Because the pediolite goes through your system so quickly, it filtered out my medication. Oh. So I had a manic episode in the beginning, you know, this, maybe this time of year, maybe closer to February in 2019. Now, it was fucked up because in the past, when I had had trouble, it was because I was skipping my medication, right? Now, mind you, I'm taking the meds. You're
0: doing what you think you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. You're being healthy.
1: Exactly right. So my mom, of course, is like, my mom's like, well, you're not taking your meds. And like, go to the Walgreens log and right. look like I yeah, am taking, taking it. it yeah. I said I just I don't know what's going on, you know, right? So I had to do like it wasn't a long hospital stay there. It was like a like a 4-dayer, which for me that's not too bad at all.
0: But <laughs> for most people that's right.
1: Most people would hate that. The cause of it truly was the the pediolite and just the and obviously yeah. the the water is helpful too, but it just it fl- I was peeing 12 times a day. Now, granted, I was hydrated, but I was urinating out all the effects of the medication.
0: Holy shit. How, who? What, what doctor pinpointed that? Like, how did they? My doctor. It? They were playing. Like, well, here's what's going on. Well,
1: I told him because obviously I, this happened in Florida, so I was I had to do the hospital in Florida, right? And when I got on the phone with him, he's like, "Well, what are you? What are you eating? What are you drinking? Like, what are you doing?" He's like, "Are you taking your meds?" Of course, that's what everybody always says. Right. Are you taking your meds? Yes, yeah. I'm taking my meds. Yeah. Right? I'm past that. I'm I'm a, I'm a mature person. I'm I take meds. Them, yes. I'm taking them. And he's like, "Well, tell me what you're eating and drinking." And I told him, and he's like, "Well, that's it." The Pedialyte and all the water is making you urinate everything out too quickly. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense, you how know. Much, but how
0: much water and Pedialyte were you drinking?
1: Oh man, I mean, I was
0: Like how much do you think like, cuz like you see this big jug I brought here.
1: Yeah. That's a gallon of water. Um uh, probably during the course of a day, I was drinking a gallon of both combined, you a know. A gallon
0: of Pedialyte in a day.
1: No, like half half Pedialyte uh, and half water, and, you know.
0: In a gallon total.
1: Yeah, a gallon total. I mean, but it was random, too. Like, I was just doing my best to stay away from depression. You
0: think you're doing the right thing. They're exactly. like, drink a bunch of fucking water, dude. And you're doing it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, don't drink that much water.
1: And that's what's so tricky about it, right? Like, yeah. you can you can be doing things that you think are correct. Yeah. And they can still bite you. And that's the one of the things, you know, I've been lucky to play sports my whole life. And I just had to change my mindset with the bipolar. When this happened... I had to turn it into a game. I had to turn it into a competition. That's a good way And I, And I had to turn it into, you know what? I'm going to have a game every day with bipolar, and I'm going to kick its fucking ass every day. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't used to think about it that way. I used to think, well, you know, I'll take my meds, and I'll be okay. And I'll, Hopefully it stays away. I'll exercise, yes. Yeah. But once I turned it into a game or a match, then I started dominating because I was going to do all these different things to make sure that it doesn't grab me again because I was fucking tired of it. Like cause not only do you wind up in hospitals, like I've been in I've probably been in the hospital eight times in my life, but you 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 piss off your parents, you piss yeah, off you your family. Build, building the relationship back. Yeah. Now, I mean it, it it sucks. Yeah. I mean to, to be able to and luckily I have this great support system, but you know, I certainly pissed some people off. Yep. I had to take that competitive approach with bipolar disorder that I used, you know, In golf on the professional level than in high school basketball and high school soccer, just like we're going to do everything. And I don't you know, the one thing I always tell people now is like, I don't want to just win the game against bipolar. I want to make it a blowout. I want to run up the score against bipolar every single day. And I do all these things, and I'd love to talk about some of them. Yeah. There's a number of things that I do every day to make sure that depression stays away from me. And then, of course, I take the medication, and that keeps the mania away.
0: So you've made it – you've made it a uh, – you've compared it to what you know, which mm-hmm. is sports and competition. Yeah. And that's amazing. So you've kind of just, yeah, molded it together. Yeah, tell us some of the things that you're doing to keep, you, keep yourself – uh he yeah. I mean,
1: the thing that I found that is the, the most amazing uh, helper, and it's so easy because a lot of times people will say, well, I can't afford therapy or I can't afford to go take an exercise class or I can't afford a doctor. And I get that, man. I get it. Th- things, are, things are tight out there, right? But the one thing that has been the biggest change for me, and I actually didn't start doing this until the beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic, which actually served me well, was I started keeping a gratitude journal. You know, some people, will. Th- will when I say that to them, they'll be like, well, wh- do I go to Michael's or Barnes and Noble to get that? I'm like, no, <laughs> no you go to fucking Walgreens and you buy a notebook, okay? And you buy a couple pens that you like, okay? And then on a piece of notebook paper, I think there's 27 or 28 lines, right? And every day... I started doing this in January of 2020. I did this for I did this for a whole year without stopping. But on all 27 or 28 of those lines of the loose leaf paper, you write something you're thankful for or you're grateful for every right? day. Every day.
0: So every day you're writing 28 things you're grateful for.
1: Yeah, and it takes about 10 or 15 minutes. Oh, oh okay. so just it's not a quick bad. little. Yeah, like I would sit down. Like my routine would be in the morning. I'd get up. I'd work out. I'd come home, I'd take a shower, and then I'd sit down with the gratitude journal, right? The gratitude journal is so simple, and it's, it's little things that, like, you know, you don't even realize that th- you that need to be... Right? Think, yeah, this is part of it, oh, and I'll show it to you. So th- the first line of my gratitude journal every time I do one is, I am grateful to not be in a hospital today. That's man. always my f- first one, because I've been in a hospital so much. It's like, if, if I have a day where I'm not in a hospital, that's a good fucking day. That's powerful. Yeah, I mean, and it's true, but yeah. also, too, like you know i you can write down that you're grateful for a certain friend you put your friend's name down or your your sibling's name down or whatever and then there's also things that people don't realize like i've done a lot of work the last 7 or 8 years with veterans right and a lot of them are amputees so they're missing legs or missing arms or missing hands whatever so one of the things i always put in my journal is i'm grateful for My arms, I'm grateful for my legs, I'm grateful for my eyes, you know, little things like that. You know, I'm grateful for my car, I'm grateful for my apartment, I'm grateful for my spiritual side, you know, whatever it may be. And so, what I figured out is if you do this exercise where you write down in this notebook, it takes 10 or 15 minutes every day for a month, that's like four hours. Of you specifically working on your mental health, and it's easy, and it doesn't cost. How much does a fucking notebook cost? Two dollars. Two dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so easy, but you have to be committed to just doing it every day, and it's not hard. And like once you do it, like for two or three weeks, what happens is in your brain, your subconscious mind creates this world of gratitude, and depression can't live where gratitude is the king. It can't. It cannot. There's also this thing I read in this book by Napoleon Hill. He had this book called uh, Think and Grow Rich. And there was a term in his book called auto-suggestion. And basically what auto-suggestion is, is the gratitude journal. You write these things down that you're grateful for over and over and over, one day at a time, over and over and over. And eventually, your mind shifts from this place of depression where you're... When you're in a de- place of depression, anxiety, you're always focused on what you don't have. But with with gratitude with, when you when you write down how grateful you what you're grateful for, you create something in your mind that helps you to realize, oh my god, I have all these great things to be grateful for but I just I wasn't focused on them yeah but when people have depression and anxiety, they get more wrapped up into themselves and they I feel like depression's kind of selfish you know like when I'm at my worst depression cycles in the past, you know, it was more about yourself, right? You weren't, you weren't doing things for other people like you do. You weren't doing things to like good looking out things. You were just kind of worried about what you were going to do. And this gratitude journal, it's, I can tell on, like I'll miss it every once in a while, but I can tell on the days that I do it, especially when I do it for 30 days in a row, 60 days in a row, like I just feel the vibration for me is just better.
0: That's incredible. It's yeah, true. That, that, and yeah, you got that whole thing. People listening, he's got this whole damn book filled out. Yeah, that's. So I mean, pages, pages, shit. pages of shit. it. Yeah, you're not just talking shit over here. you really- yeah, man. I mean,
1: it helps me. Wow. And I don't want you know this, and I, then I can do this, and I don't have to go see the doctor all the time, and it just it, it creates a place in your mind that is new and fresh and positive. Yeah. And I'm telling you, doing this overrides depression, and anxiety. It just does. I know from personal experience.
0: It brings this to the forefront, and depression to the back.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and now there's other things too, though. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. you know, music therapy is one yeah, of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, I think people what don't realize. You listen to? I listen to pretty much everything except for I'm starting to get into country a little bit. Yeah? Yeah, starting to. Just because, you know, got a good buddy who lives in Tennessee, so I'm starting to listen to it a little bit more. But...
0: Yeah, that, that country music to me really, uh, it's like almost like happy reminds me of warm weather i don't know reminds me of beer drinking yeah it's friday night i just got off work yeah reminds me of shit like
1: that. yeah like i've gotten into chris stapleton a little bit no, but, well, yeah, but the yeah. thing about music therapy is so interesting to me is i actually learned this at barnes hospital during one of my stays i was working with a nurse there and, and she brought in an ipod at the time it was an ipod she had all this different music in there and i said what do we it was like kind of like that recreation hour i go what are we doing here and she goes well, we're doing music therapy i go What's music therapy? She's like, well, if you listen to music, it's good for your mood. And I'm like, well, I have a mood disorder. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> and the other thing that I always say to people is like, you've, you've listened to a song where the hair on the back of your necks absolutely gone up, right? Well, how powerful is that? So if, if music can do that, imagine if you, I mean, I'm trying to listen to music as much as I can all the time. Because like I said, I want to blow out depression. I yeah. want to absolutely – I want to put my foot on depression's neck and choke it out, right? Absolutely. And music yeah. is one of those things that that does that. So music therapy to so, me – and you could do that anywhere.
0: So let me ask you, what is, what exactly – so is music therapy just listening to music? Yes. So That's it, it. So anytime I'm in the car – Yeah. Therapy,
1: yeah, man. <laughs> find said, your hey, – Turn this shit on. Get, get your favorite it. playlist, your favorite artist or your favorite playlist and just jam it. And like – Yeah. You know, don't, you know, try not to look at the phone or do, but let the music like get in your ears. Yeah. I mean, music therapy, it just, it's so fundamental. Yeah. People don't realize how powerful it is because everybody's listening to different things these days. And that's okay. But like, remember, don't forget to listen to music. Music is like, like I love to turn on the music and like clean my place or do laundry just just, because it's just good for you. It's good for your brain. And I, it's good for my mood, right? Now here's a little here's an outside the box one that I love people always get a kick out of this one. Sauerkraut. Do you what like do you, mean? Do you like sauer, do you like sauerkraut?
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I, well, do, I don't think I've ever I've never really had it.
1: Okay, so here's, the deal, here, here's the deal here's the deal with usually, sauerkraut. I actually like, this is going to sound gross and but it's true. I actually eat sauerkraut as a snack with a fork out of the jar. And the reason is the, fuck out of here. the reason is I know you're laughing but it's funny. The reason is sauerkraut is a probiotic food. Okay, and there's like, there's a few probiotic foods. You can look them all up. Like kimchi is another one of them. Yogurt's another one. I but I. Is a
0: sauerkraut anyway?
1: It's, I don't know. It's like, when well, you put it on a bratwurst, do you know a, what I mean?
0: Yeah, but is it like a I don't, vegetable? Um, is it a.
1: It's, um, like a, it's a fermented food. Like a potato? But, but, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's a <laughs> potato. But if you eat sauerkraut or any other probiotic food, it helps with your but gut it, health, yeah. which also in turn helps with your brain health. And let me help you with the reason I found this out. 2019, had the episode from the, uh, the pediolite, right? Come back to St. Louis, got back in, a- in April. For some reason, that year it snowed in April. So, like, I'm probably almost at rock bottom ish. I'm in, in St. Louis. I'm in St. Louis. It's snowing. I mean, I'm in a bad place and I'm exercising, right? But I wasn't getting the normal relief that I would get from my depression for the exercise. So, I talked with someone about probiotic foods. And I've always loved sauerkraut. I've always just loaded it on my bratwurst or my hot dogs, right? Shit. So I literally started eating sauerkraut for like a week straight every day. And sure enough, that fog that we talked about with it depression no or that like numbness, it lifted and went away. Get the fuck I out swear of here. to God, man. I mean, look, I've been studying this fucking disorder and depression for 22 years now. And it's almost killed me a number of times. Sure, yeah. But I mean, these are the things that... They, they work for me. Now, I don't know if they'll work for everybody else, but I, mean, I would love sense. to share. It
0: makes sense. I hear all the time about gut health and all that, and you mm-hmm. think, you think oh, okay, well, maybe that means I'll have like six-pack abs if I eat good there. No, it's actually tied to your fucking head.
1: Yes, certainly the probiotic part with the gut health goes right to your brain. Like, probiotics, yeah, probiotic foods, which sauerkrauts one, like I said, yogurt and kimchi. I, I don't kimchi's uh, not something I enjoy, but I, I got lucky because I like sauerkraut. That's awesome you know? shit. Yeah, the other thing that I think people got to realize about or be aware of is like self talk. When I'm in a depressed cycle or have been in the past. The way you talk to yourself is so important, man. You 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 can't berate yourself or tell yourself you're no good, and, and you got to be. Sometimes I think people do that, and they're not even aware that they're doing it to themselves, right?
0: The Worse at that, man. I got to get and, better at that.
1: And that was something that I struggled with as a golfer, like oh, I bet, yeah. because I'd be walking down the fairway, right, and I you can't. I wouldn't say anything out loud, but in my mind, I'm berating myself for hitting a bad shot, right? Well, I realized a number of years back, like. You can't talk to yourself bad on the golf course, but in real life, that you got to be your own best friend. You know, you can't. You know, negative self-talk can cause a lot of trouble. Shit. You know, especially with depression yeah. and anxiety. I think people need to learn how to sleep better. And what I mean by that is, what, what's your environment like when you sleep? You know, or do you have the TV on? Because that's terrible.
0: Yeah, that shit's like in your back of your head, like keeping you stimulated, even though you're sleeping. Exactly right. Yeah. You got if you are sleeping
1: in a room where the TV's on when you sleep, that's no good. You're not. You're never going to be able to get to REM sleep. Right. right you know right. the the temperature in the room where you sleep. So you know, I would I think anybody would argue that at age like what is he 46 now? Tom Brady's certainly a guy that's learned how to take care of his body and his mind, and and he's still performing at a high level. Brady sleeps with the uh, temperature at like 64 degrees every night. Because he knows that his body and his, his sleep will be better, and you know, obviously, you want to find the right kind of bed, and that all that. There's, there's some beds out there if you want to spend some money; that are outstanding. But I mean, the, the sleep, the sleep component, I think, is something that gets lost a lot on people. I definitely have slept better since I don't drink anymore. But like, music therapy is so fundamental. Sleeping in the right environment is so fundamental, but people don't pay attention to shit like this.
0: Yeah, no, they think, oh yeah, well, I went to bed fucking twelve. I got up at seven. You know, that's seven hours of sleep. How much of that were you actually sleeping?
1: Yeah. You know? And obviously, we, I guess it's pretty clear what we discussed on, uh, on the hydration part. Maybe you don't want to drink gallons of Pedialyte, but, but being hydrated is really important because that keeps you from becoming fatigued, and then that fatigue can lead to depression. And, I mean, there's, you'll, you'll be the first to tell me or tell anybody, I'm sure, as well. I mean, we want to stay away from depression at all costs. To me, that's the worst one of them all. Yeah. I haven't had as much experience with anxiety, but if I can keep depression away from me, that to me is a is a productive day. I'm
0: with you 100%. You know, 100% agree. That's a, actually that's a pretty damn good list. <laughs> sauerkraut, I would have never thought of, but but it makes sense. Yeah. Sleeps monumental. The gratitude journal, I'm going to try that. That sounds I was going to actually...
1: tell you after we, you know, did your episode, I was going to say, "Hey, I was going to show this to you and you can see and it's easy, man. It's so easy. Now, now, if you want to spend a few bucks, if you got a few bucks in your pocket and you want to really get into, I think this will re- relieve anxiety a little bit better, but look into transcendental meditation. Say that again? Transcendental meditation. There's a lot of um, super creative people that use transcendental meditation. The only reason I found out about it is a number of years ago, I did a speech on a panel in Chicago, and I sat next to this guy who's actually a filmmaker, and we were sitting next to each other for an entire afternoon. And I just and he had bipolar as well. And I said, "Hey, what what do you do? What's your best tool for fighting bipolar?" And he said, "Transcendental meditation," without a question. So I looked into it. Came came back to St. Louis. I found a class that was in South County with this lady named Linda. She's spectacular. You basically take like three or four classes. And it's, 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 it costs between like maybe 500 bucks and a grand, depending upon the instructor, if they'll give you a deal. And most of them will because they just want to teach it because it's for the greater good. But the way she explained it is imagine if anxiety is the icicles hanging on a gutter in the winter, right? So if you got a snowy, cold weather, you got the icicles hanging on the gutter, right? Well, transcendental meditation and, and those icicles is your anxiety the Transcendental Meditation will knock all those icicles off. It'll, it'll help you calm your mind down. And it's a, it's a technique that they teach you over about three or four classes. I wish I could share more you know, about how that works, but Sounds cool. it, it is cool. Now, now I'll, I'll share the story that happened to me the first time I did it. So I, I worked with her for – it took about two weeks. And so at the, at the end of the last meeting with her – I learned all the techniques and I was ready to go. So I went home and I was doing my, my meditation. It takes twenty minutes. It's not bad. One of the things that happens during the meditation is they want you to have a watch because they do this want at you. Home. you can do this yeah, home. you can do it anywhere. You can do. I've done it on the side of the road in my car, gotcha. but you could do it at home as well. But I had they want you to keep a clock or a watch. They don't want your phone, but a, but a clock of some sort so you can open your eyes here and there and see like how much time you have left. So I start doing this meditation and it's you know like I said the end of the second week twenty minute one and I'm about. Five or six minutes into the meditation, true story, and I start laughing. I start burst. I burst into laughter like the kind of laughter you get when you're a kid and you can't stop laughing.
0: You almost get anxiety because you can't stop laughing.
1: Yeah, like my <laughs> abdominal muscles were hurting because I was laughing so hard. Right. Well, I know I, I I had enough awareness to know that like this was going on within the meditation. I checked my watch. I figured out that I laughed for like four or five minutes. Oh, right. God. So I finished the meditation and I immediately call Linda and i said linda this just happened to me and she's like michael that's wonderful that was an enormous stress ball leaving your body oh shit right and it would make sense too because when you laugh you know yeah. you just kind of you you everything leaves right and i thought i thought that was a pretty good example of what transcendental meditation can do like i said it's going to cost a few bucks if you got a few bucks and you're interested and you ha- and you suffer from anxiety who do you reach out to about that? Uh, it's a lady named Linda. We can put it on your website or something. But transcendental uh, tra- meditation. Now, now transcendental meditation. You can find it a lot There's of a different lot of places. The didn't. one I just happened to go to was in was in South County, but I'm sure they're they're all over the United States. It's a very old practice, but that's something that if like if you really want to delve deep into your anxiety, I right. feel like transcendental meditation is something that you should look into. But right. yeah, it's just one. I mean, like I said, man, I've been I've been fighting this bipolar for 22 years, so like you know i i tried a bunch of things that i like and i've tried things that i didn't like and i i held on to the stuff that works yeah now the only, the other thing i got i'd be remiss if i didn't mention this is like so i exercise every day like i mean if i miss a day that's rare and those endorphins for me uh, of exercise that also helps to keep that depression at bay cuz it just those endorphins are like they're like little fighters against depression. So, I mean, and I don't care. And I, you don't need to like go to like an orange theory class or like a F45 class to exercise. You know, you can walk, you can run, you can lift whatever. But I just feel like exercise, it, it's so underrated and people, I think people struggle with doing it because it is hard, but sometimes, you know, you got to force yourself to do things.
0: Like you said, when you made force yourself to go for a walk, Yeah, when you were, you had to fucking flop on yeah, the man. floor.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and I heard somebody else talk about this the other day, like if you have a good stretch going where you're getting exercise in and it's 30, 40, 80 minutes, whatever, that's awesome. But on those days when you're, you're having trouble getting there, if you can just get there even for 15 minutes and do something, that's better than nothing.
0: Absolutely. You know.
1: And I think a lot, of, a lot of the things that I've learned in handling bipolar, some of it is just good old-fashioned mental toughness. Like, look, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to figure out a way to feel better. For me, you know, like, obviously, we try to do other things for other people. And that's one of the things that I love about you. We, we, that's our common goal, right? We want to help other people. That's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast. But when you're talking about your own mental health and your well being, you got to be a little bit selfish. And what I mean by that is like, if you need to take an extra half an hour to get some exercise in, instead of going and meeting somebody at a restaurant or a bar, do it. Yeah, take care of yourself, you know, be be mentally tough. I mean, mental, mental toughness, I think is a huge part of being healthy. You
0: yeah. know yeah, shit, yeah, I mean, people always worry about their uh, their physical health, you know, mental health, got to work that muscle out too. Yeah, man, I don't give two shits
1: about how I look. I, I exercise I, I'm almost I'm probably I think it's safe to say I'm addicted now to the feeling I get when my workout is over. No shit. So no, there's no question I am. It's a high.
0: See, I don't, I don't, that's that's one thing that I've always, I think would help me that I've never delved into or whatever. Of course it would help you. But I think I need to, I think I need to really commit to that. And I know, I bet it, I bet it takes a while to get, you just gotta force yourself to do it, like you said. For
1: I mean, could, knows, it could, but who knows? Maybe, maybe you find a class or a workout partner, or maybe you, this is something you and your wife do. Like, you never know. Like, it could, you could catch on to it something quickly and, and it'd be really good. Thing
0: you know, it's a, it's a something I wanna do.
1: Yes. Like, and, and uh, let, let's be clear though. <laughs> I don't love going to work out, right? Like, I love when it's over and how I feel, yeah. but that's the mental toughness piece, right? Like, okay, let's force ourselves to get to the gym. Hell yeah. Let's force ourselves to drink this water because I know that, you know, this is going to hydrate me better and maybe keep that fatigue away. The biggest component of bipolar that any other person in the world can feel, not everybody can feel the mania. That's a separate thing, right? But Everybody has felt depression, whether it's because they lost a job or a loved one passed away, or maybe they were hung over, you know, whatever. I mean, everybody has felt and can feel depression. And my my feeling is that I want to help people kick the fuck out of depression. That's how, that's how I view this podcast and and some of the work that I've done is because... You know, it's hard to do it on your own. You gotta get some ideas here and there from different people. That's
0: I mean that's the goal, dude, is just to keep talking to people, keep having the conversations, get the feedback, get some ideas. Dude, thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. Seriously, that's I didn't know like I told you before we started, I didn't know much about bipolar and all I all you really know is what people say when they chalk it up to, "Hey, she, he's bipolar." When they, you know, that. But that's to have a deeper insight into it like that is it's awesome, and I, I thank you for sharing that.
1: Well, do me a favor: if any of your your people that reach out to you have questions for bipolar, please uh, send them my way. And if I can, Absolutely. if I can shed light on whether it's medications or strategies or things like that, like that's one of the things I do. Is uh, you know, I've, I've coached a lot of people that have bipolar, and I, I wish, frankly, I wish I would have had a coach when I was. In my early to mid twenties, yeah. but you know I didn't. But that's okay. It's something that I think is a lot more common than people really believe. It's it's out there more than people will admit. The one good thing about bipolar is that it is manageable. Yeah, it truly yeah. is. Like You're if you approved. do, yeah, I am, and there's some other people out there that are as well. And but it also takes hard work. It's not like you know you can just roll out of bed and take a couple of pills and it's right, all good, right, right. right? I mean, and that's what I want people to understand is you got to be willing to work for your health. Uh, especially with bipolar and certainly with other conditions too. But I, that's the one thing I always hang my hat on is like, yeah, I have bipolar and it can put you in some weird places and you might wind up on the side of the road naked, but beating the shit it, out of your car. Yeah, it is manageable though. Yeah. Like if you do things and take care of yourself the right way, you can do anything that you want to. Where can people find your book? The book is on Amazon. The book is called Birdies, Bogeys, and Bipolar Disorder. Um, And for any of the golf fans out there, David Faraday wrote the foreword. If anybody doesn't know who David Faraday is, he's uh a... a wonderful commentator. He's been on NBC. Now he's with Live Golf, but he's a great dude. He offered to do the uh, to do the pod or to do the uh, forward because Joe Buck reached out to him on my behalf and and, and he what he wrote. The reason I wanted Faraday is cuz he's, you know, he's a golfer, he's he's been in broadcasting. I have a little bit as well and and he has bipolar as well. For those a lot of golf fans out there will recognize his name, but yeah, I'm on Amazon and there's there's a piece in the book that I put at the end that I feel like is kind of it's probably more important than the rest of it. So When you play a tournament in competitive golf, you're only allowed to take 14 clubs in your bag. And at the end of my book, I created a section called the 14 clubs, and it's 14 different things you can do to fight against depression.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. That's cool. The whole book's kind of basically about how you've managed your bipolar disorder, and you compare it to the golf. Yeah, so the story is like, so it's basically the
1: story of me playing professional golf from the beginning of 01 to 2011 because there was that just decade of like wildness frankly yeah and i had some friends encourage me to do it and i'm glad i did and then at the end of the story portion is that 14 club section where people can you know pick up different things to kind of fight against depression i
0: like that well shit thanks again that's michael wellington everybody birdies bogeys and bipolar is his book, get it on Amazon. And dude, thanks for sharing. And uh, again, we're coming from the Lou Fuse Automotive Studio. We appreciate you listening in. Thank you. I love you. Bye.